And, mm-hmm. and so like the better manners you have, like I try and teach this to salespeople all the time and they just don't get it. But I've won tons of business during my lifetime from saying like, yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. Great experiences build great leaders. Great leaders build great teams. This is building great sales teams. All right, guys, welcome back to Building Great Sales Teams. I've got a special one for you guys today. I've got John, the sales warrior, Sansoni. He's the owner of sales, the sales warrior brand, which has courses, assessments, and a three-day sales camp. He's been selling for 34 years, y'all. He's got more sales experience than many of us have been alive, so listen up. He's an expert in B2B sales. John, welcome to the show, brother. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm just in, you know, professional services, but um but yeah, guys, uh awesome to be on here. Uh been professionally selling 34 years, but I can tell you like when I started selling, I was like broke as a joke with no self-confidence. So if you if you think of like the building blocks of uh taking you from uh, you know, Z to A, uh I can tell you I'm a product of that. And uh and continue to be a product of that. Um, not afraid to uh, expand, you know, my universe of knowledge and uh, hopefully share some of that with you. No, we appreciate you for that. So uh, before we started the show here, you were telling the story and I was like, hey, you got to stop because I need my listeners to hear this. Sure. And it was a story about your first one of your first job interviews and you basically walking in there knowing nothing about the industry, but how you were able to overcome that. Can you walk me through that a little bit? Oh, yeah, absolutely, Doug. So I was working in uh, professional uh, telephone sales for an industrial chemical company here in Dallas. Been working there five years and uh, grew my business from zero to about 300 uh, monthly quarterly clients. And uh, but I just got stuck at my income level and I kept reading the papers and the one ads and seeing that like technology and software sales were a really big deal. And so uh, so I said, that's what I want to get into. So I started talking to recruiters and every step of the way, they're like, yeah, we're not going to be able to sell you, John. Uh, you don't have a background in technology. Maybe you did some stuff when you're in high school and college, but it's all surpassed you. And uh, I remember her asking me a question and she's like, John, tell me about lands and lands. And, uh, and at the time I knew absolutely about lands and lands. And now I know a ton about it, but at the time it, it just stumped me. But, uh, but I always went back to uh, what I'd learned in professional uh, motivational books. And uh, one of the things that I learned was that uh, you always got to jump out there and put yourself in situations for growth. And uh, so the, uh, the thing I told her was, hey, sales is duplicatable. So maybe I don't know what a land and a land is today, but in the future I will know. And more importantly, I know how to sell. And if I know how to sell industrial chemicals, I know how to sell complex software applications, which proved out to be true. I, uh, I actually surpassed many of the people that had IT backgrounds and in uh, my backgrounds in uh, advertising. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Like selling is a skill on its own, but as long as you have a surface level knowledge of whatever product you're selling, typically you're able to apply those skills and execute. You know, and you just need to get them to that point in the conversation where they're ready to, to purchase what you're selling, right? 
And then after that, the fulfillment team can take over and the experts jump in. You know, I've been experiencing that a lot in B2B lately because yeah. you know, I recently partnered with an agency and I'm a minority partner there now and I'm responsible for the sales in the company naturally, right? Oh, okay. And sure. so um basically I'm I, I know enough to be dangerous, you know, but I don't have a deep knowledge of CRMs, web development, SEO, or okay. um, strategic operating systems. So but I am able to be dangerous enough to to let the customer know how it can benefit their business, right? And that's oh, that's yeah, all we sure. do when we sell, right? Is features and benefits and, and incorporating it into their pain points and and overcoming that, right? And so uh when when you got into B2B, what do you what do you feel like was the reason for your success in that industry? Because I mean, software application, technology in general, B2B. This is not sexy stuff that we're selling here. It, you know, people are not naturally attracted to it, right? And so, how did you identify your prospect? What was your approach after that? So, so in technology specifically, you um, it's a small universe of people that buy technology, and mm -hmm. so you have lists of people that um, that already own the software. So you had a phone number, and uh, and you had a general understanding of. Uh, of the guy that uh, at least was licensed for the software, many times that would get you in the door. Sometimes okay. you get pushback. Uh, so like I was selling a network and analyzing uh, protocol software. And so I'd call in and they'd be like, Hey, I don't do that. Bob does that. And so boom, I got pushed to Bob. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so then I'm sending Bob an email and, uh, and giving Bob a phone call. Uh, one of the greatest things that can happen if you're in B2B sales, if you come in on the phone, and the guy sends you to the right department internally, mm -hmm. that's like nirvana for B2B sales because right. it's coming in and he thinks it's the it's the guy that works for his company and right. you're the sales guy. You're coming right in the door, baby. That is yeah. like nirvana for a, a B2B sales opportunity. So how did you keep him from just hanging up on you or not wanting to hear what you had to say? What was the, the opening line there? Well, you got to posture him. You got to posture IT people. You can't, you can't like, uh, and, and you know, that's why I call myself my stuff sales warrior to be okay. a true sales person, man. You got to be tough. You got to have thick skin. Somebody like knocks you down, man. You got to get back up and put them in a headlock and bring them down. And that's the mentality you got to have when you're cold calling. You can't mm -hmm. be like laxadaisic. Okay. I'll call back. Isn't this a good time? No. Uh, like when they're like, Hey, they're like, yeah, John sounds great. I got to get up. You know, John, I got a lot to do today. Uh, and right. I, and, and, and I know all about that. I'm really Bob, you know, all about that. Tell me all about the art mib, the what the art mib. Okay. Well, you got me there. I don't know what the art mib is. Okay. Well, so that is a line of code in our software that is we're analyzing your network. We can look at all of the applications that are running. We can tell you down to the code line, which applications are slowing down your network right now you're lucky if you know which switch is slowing down your network with the art mib we can tell you what application line of code is slowing down your network does it sound more interesting now so you got that that attention grabber that one thing you can ask them that you know is kind of like one of the bigger features of your products and then once it grabs your attention now we're having a conversation now they're interested exactly yeah and, you know, in IT guys, many of them are not like hardcore. You do run across the hardcore ones, 
but many of them are just like, you know, real introverted and things like that. So sometimes you gotta, you gotta realize like who you're talking to. If you're talking to like a management level guy, he's more likely to be aggressive. If you're talking to a guy that's like flipping switches and, you know, doing computer updates and things like that, he's likely to be more like the, you know, the guy that was really good in algebra and geometry when you went to high school. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How long did you spend in uh, B2B? Nine years. Nine years. So, and really longer than that, more like, because uh, I did five years in industrial chemicals. I was calling on nursing homes. Mm-hmm. So, so when I was doing nursing homes, I was working with like the hospital administrator and then I'd get pushed to the maintenance guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, many times these maintenance people, like don't count them out. You're not talking to a janitor, especially at a big hospital. You're talking to a scientist sometimes. Okay. And and that's why it's so important to be respectful when you're, uh, when you're cold calling and, uh, and realize like you're being intrusive. And, mm-hmm. and so like the better manners you have, like I try and teach this to salespeople all the time and they just don't get it. But I've won tons of business during my lifetime from saying like, yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. Like I gave you an example of how I posture people, but also give you a, an example of how like I am the most like friendly, uh, respectful person that could possibly ever cold call somebody. Okay. Because you need that. And, and people pick up on that. And uh, and you just got to, man, especially when you're cold calling, you, you got to get in the rhythm. And, and like I like to say, you got to get it like all over you. Like uh, like you see a good salesperson, like a good salesperson, they got papers all over their desk. Yeah. And, and they know where everything is. But uh, <laughs> But they're like, they're in it. Like, you know, like Emmett Smith running the football, man. They're in it to win it. And, mm-hmm. uh, and if they get knocked down, like Emmett Smith, he'll do a twirl and lunge and get a couple extra feet. Like that's a true salesperson. Yeah. Um, but I get passionate about talking about sales just because I've been doing it so long. It's it's amazing I'm not burned out. No, it is. It re- it it really is because uh, you know you you've got two different types of people in sales. You got the managers and the actual salespeople. You know, and um, I've always been from early age the manager the one that was able to scale the sales team right yeah yeah i I read that and heard that yeah that's why i focus on building great sales teams versus sales in general i'm not the sales trainer or the sales guru or any of that right um and so you know as you're i guess going through your career and everything did you transition to that manager eventually or did you just transition to higher and higher ticket sales you know, I transitioned to higher and higher ticket sales. So early on when I was in my early 20s, they're like, hey, John, you got a college degree. You need to be the sales manager. And I did it. And yeah. they made me sell while I did it. And it's nothing against the guys that I trained. And I got some good results out of some of the people I trained, but some of the people mm-hmm. were horrible. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I was able personally doing it part time to sell more than my whole team. So uh, so I got fr- and I told my wife, I'm like, you know what? I'm not happy. Like. I'm not happy being a sales manager. I know it might look good on my resume, but it's just not a fit for me. And, uh, and I use a lot of analogies, Doug, in my life. And I think of like, so in a rock band, you have like the, uh, the manager that books the plane tickets, gets the venues and works with everybody yeah. on a business level. That is not me, man. I am the lead guitarist. I'm the guy that they put the spotlight on. It's time to sell. I'm there. I love it. I love it so much. And so 
what do you feel like was your biggest challenge in evolving from that? Right. Cause if we get stagnant, then we get unhappy, we get depressed, we're not growing. Right. And so you were in B2B for a while. What was your next evolution? Oh yeah. So, so from B2B, I went into professional consulting. Uh, that was primarily just based upon a, a buddy of mine. We were mm-hmm. playing golf and he explained to me like, you know, in not so many uncertain words, how much money he was making. And I compared that to like how much money I was making at the time. And then more importantly, I compared it to like my lifestyle. Okay. So when I was in software sales, this is a great example. I went in on a Monday and they're like, Hey, we really need you, John, to be in Phoenix to work a show tomorrow. Okay. And I'm like, I'm raising a small family at the time. I got like a, uh, a three-year-old and I think my wife was pregnant mm-hmm. and, uh, and I'm immediately like getting on my laptop computer, getting a Southwest airline ticket to Phoenix. Yeah. It was a weird feeling. Like I'm working that show and then I'm like, man, I'm going to be in Phoenix for a few days. What clients can I call on? And then I'm like, I'll plan a happy hour. Cause then I can talk to a whole bunch of clients, buy them drinks and uh, better than going in their office. And, uh, and, and, and so that's what I ended up doing. But like, like my life was not my own. Right. Like in professional consulting, I can sit on my laptop computer, sell whatever I want. I got people that work for me that set up meetings for me. And, uh, you know, after we get off this meeting, I'll be walking my dog, you know? So like I got freedom and, uh, being a sales guy and having freedom, is so much better than like, and everything, everything was like client based. So Mm -hmm. like if the guy, I was getting ready to get a purchase order one time from uh, Nortel networks for a quarter of a million dollars. It was an awesome sell. And everybody told me it was impossible. Like everybody going into is like, Oh, you're talking to that guy. That guy's been jerking everybody's chain for seven years. And, uh, I'm like, you know, I got a good feeling about this. I think now's the time that he's going to buy this, uh, by this application. And, uh, it was the night that he was supposed to fax me the PO and he's like, I can't do this, John. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? You can't do this. Like, you know, we got all this figured out. You talked to my engineer. Uh, why can't you do it? He's like, I've never met you face to face. I'm like, I got to meet you face to face. I think it was three o'clock in the afternoon and a good salesperson will uh, rise to the occasion I'm like, what building are you in right now in Nortel Networks? Give me your address. Got in my car, went over, met the dude, got the PO. Oh, he was in the same city anyways? Yeah, 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 yeah. That That's just like, a, you know, back in the day in technology in Dallas, everything mm-hmm. was off of uh, Campbell Road. So like all oh, the yeah. major telecoms like Alcatel, Nortel, IBM, uh, all the big ones were just, you know, in the telecom corridor. Like people that haven't been in Nortel networks, like back in the day, that was the deal, man. They had their own bank there. They had their own dry cleaners there. They had restaurants there. It looked like a mall walking into Nortel networks. And, uh, and I had to go over and get my purchase order, but, but like, that's what separates a good salesperson from a, uh, from just like an order taker is like, you got to have vision. And, uh, and when it gets down to the, uh, are you going to take the action? And the action in this case was I got to go meet this guy and shake this guy's hand or he's not going to give me a purchase order. Uh, I'm not going to let that get in the way of doing business. I love it. And so as you've transitioned from, you know, B2B and then, you know, professional consulting and everything yes. now, and you've kind of architected 
this new life, you know, and, and I have a very similar journey happening right now, but I'm at the very beginning of it versus okay. even doing it for a while. Yeah. Um, you have your, your sales warrior clients now. And so uh, what do those clients look like when they come to you? Is it entry-level salespeople or people that have been in the game for a while? Tend to be more people that have been in the game for a while or transitioning to a, uh, you know, a role with bigger numbers. Okay. So, uh, so I tend to level people up. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of interesting because I was actually in a what was supposed to be a, a meeting where I was supposed to learn how to do my job today, and uh, and in it, the guy uh, the guy teaching it had only been doing it like five years, and uh, and like, why is he teaching it? Like, if he's good at it, why isn't he doing it? Because he's taking a pay cut to teach. But uh, but anyway. Uh, his information he was given all these young people was completely incorrect. Mm -hmm. Like uh, he was not teaching people properly of how you, I, I just use a real simple uh, terminology and analogy for this, but thread the needle. Okay. Like he was talking about numbers. Oh, we got to show them the numbers and you got to show them this percentage versus that percentage. I'm like, no, 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 no. You got to develop a word picture that they understand first and foremost you have to integrate that word picture to something that they already understand. So now it becomes familiar to them. And then once you do that and they agree on the money, you ask for the business in software, we call it proof of concept. Okay. What's a, mm -hmm. what's the definition of a word picture in this case? Yeah. So, uh, so you got a sprinkler system and you got a fire extinguisher. So in okay. software, if, uh, if there's a fire breaking out and any IT guy can relate to this, say your network's down, well, mm -hmm. fire extinguisher, you go and you plug into every switch to see what's going on. Is there a printer hiccuping? Is an application messing up? Are we getting a denial of service attack? We got to go around the whole network physically. And if you have eight buildings, that becomes quite difficult. Whereas right. a sprinkler system, everything's already installed. So when the fires break out, you just turn on the sprinkler system and you put the fire out. I, I can see it now. That's beautiful. So, so, so like, it. yeah, word picture is so strong and then mm -hmm. you integrate it into something they already understand. Yeah. No, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, we use this all the time in cable and B2B in, in consulting now. 100%. Yeah. I love that. But the people that are coming to me are normally struggling with a role advancement. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, you know, uh, many things I teach, I don't think other sales people that teach selling teach. Like I'm very much on the personal side of sales and I'm very much on the share the person, share yourself with the prospect mm -hmm. because uh, I mean, Ryan says it, people buy from people they like, know, and trust. Mm -hmm. and, and the more you share who you are with the prospect, the more likely you are to do business with them. And uh, one of the best things is if you look like their cousin and, and I've had that happen. <laughs> Like yeah. you look just like my nephew. Boom. I know I'm making a sale. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like as soon as they say, like people don't understand that though. I try to drive that home. Like women, if you ever go into like a department store and somebody else is wearing your same dress or say they're wearing your same concert t-shirt, what do you have? Common ground. Immediate rapport. Like you could talk to that person and like you and I, we both have a beard and a mustache. You and I have immediate rapport. Mm -hmm. You know, we're both in sales and we got a beard and mustache. I go out publicly 
and uh, see other people with beards and mustaches and they say hi to me just because I have a beard and mustache. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's common ground. It's the beginning. It's not true rapport, but it's the beginning of rapport. Rapport happens really with relatability. And I teach that you can't sell to somebody until they like you and they're not going to like you until they can relate to you. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. until you have relatability, you, you don't really have true rapport. You might have commonality, but commonality isn't true rapport. True rapport is where you both see past what you're selling. And uh, and now you become like a business uh, mentor or associate, even if you're in the sales seat and they're in the buyer seat. But but people I help are, are people that are struggling. They need to level up. They need to feed their family and mm-hmm. uh, and they're burned out. Like, I think I'm the king of helping people from being burned out because, man, I'm getting ready to turn 60 and I am not burned out like at all. Like I was reading yesterday about Mary Kay Ash. She started mm-hmm. her business at age 45. Started Mary Kay Cosmetics. Mm-hmm. It's grown it into like several billion dollars. I think like $1.7 billion. I mean, it's unreal. Yeah. Like 3.5 million uh, representatives throughout the country. And, and she started it at like out of like a one room house. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I used to sell Mary Kay Cosmetics. I know how deep their pockets are. They yeah. they used to pay my mortgage back when I was in software. <laughs> I love it. They would, man. It'd be like a $50,000 PO like once a month. And mm-hmm. I was like, and my boss would be like, John, how can they afford that? I'm like, dude, there is a lot of money in, in, in cosmetics. Makeup. Yeah. Kidding me? I know. Um, every time I go to the grocery store, it's like 10% of my grocery bill. <laughs> have you ever been to the building? Like the building is huge. No, I've never been. Oh. Okay. So it looks like a mall. You go in it. There's all these pretty ladies. Uh, there's going to be well-dressed men, pretty ladies. Nobody dresses in blue jeans and Mary Kay cosmetics. And, uh, and you go in there and there's like a waterfall. There's a water fountain. There's a water fountain on the front of it. And uh, you feel like you've walked into like a really nice Hilton in Manhattan or something. Like mm-hmm. you do not feel like you're in a business complex by any stretch. It is so nice. I love it. Okay. So what are you excited about right now? What's next for you with, with sales warrior and then your consulting business now? Well, yeah. So with the sales warrior, uh, I mean, I'm excited about it cause I just feel like what I teach isn't taught and, okay. uh, and when I first priced it, I priced it like 500 bucks because I have a huge ego. But um, but then I'm like, you know, I want to make, you know, I want to make it more affordable. So now it's like 99 bucks. And then mm-hmm. it was only like 10 hours. And so I made it a three day boot camp because it's like I wanted it to be like somebody that's struggling in sales could watch like 30 minutes of it and then start their day uh, yeah. or listen to 30 minutes of it and start their day. And then what I do for them is I do monthly uh these kind of like interviews I do, I do a lot of these at least mm-hmm. once a month, sometimes two or three times a month. And then I email it to my people. And yeah. so they not only get what I've done in the past, but they get the most up-to-date stuff I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. But, but what am I excited about? I got a vision for my retirement. It's going to look like a not too many other people's retirements, but like, yeah. so, so my wife and I are completely debt-free. Our kids are raised and, uh, so you're in Dallas, so you'll be able to relate to this. So, uh, so I have a house in North Dallas. I'm gonna get a place on Lake Louisville, and uh, I'm gonna spend. 
the week at Lake Louisville at my house there. And I'm going to spend the weekends at my house here in North Dallas. And the reason is because I like to go see rock bands. So I got to be like close to where all the rock bands are playing. Nice. And uh, me and a buddy that are kind of retiring together, we're going to go on a cruise every single year together. Mm -hmm. uh, my goal is to become a diamond member of the, uh, of the cruise line. And, uh, and then two, like I'm going to do professional speaking and uh, continue to take on clients to help them in sales mm -hmm. and continue to like bolster my, my digital product line. But, uh, but that's kind of how I see my vision. I really in, in retirement will not have to work because I yeah. just don't have like an expensive lifestyle, so to speak. Um, right. But I like to create and you tend to get paid for what you create. Yeah. And, uh, and then the ego kicks in. I'm like, I got to get paid. Like I'm <laughs> like getting paid. Yeah. So, so if I sell something, I want to make like five grand or four grand when I sell one thing, I don't like to make a little money. I, you know, I'm open to like, you know, they call it bread and butter business, but I like to be like paid. Yeah. So, I, I spent 14 years in a bread and butter business making roughly 250 to $300 per sale on cable and internet, you know? But oh yeah. We were, yeah. We that were, was kind of like when I did industrial chemicals, similar, very, yeah. very similar. But we were doing 1200 to 1400 sales a month. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. It, uh, it was all volume. It was very volume yeah. based. No, I love your I love your retirement plan because they're a very small part of it. it sounds like work, and even then, it's not work because it's you're doing what you love. Uh, but at no, the same time, yeah. like it's, it's very specific. You know, most people have the the cliche one, which is you know, retire on a beach or you know, have the freedom to do what they want and and all those things. But yours is very specific, so I appreciate that. Uh, and then and, the and rock concerts a, every weekend too. Like I do, dude. I ever since my kids got older. Like we used to go to soccer games and stuff. And now my grandson is at the point where like he's in soccer and my wife is all excited about it. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh man, I was so happy when my kids stopped playing soccer. You have no idea. <laughs> and now you're going through the whole cycle again. Oh man, it just reverts itself. You know, I'm sure I'll get a kick out of it. But one of the beautiful things about having your kids raised, if a buddy of yours says, hey, we're going to go to Oklahoma to go see a concert together. Boom, mm -hmm. we're in Oklahoma getting a hotel going to see a concert together. Yeah, I love that. I love it so much. I mean, we're getting to that age now where they watch themselves, you know. And so, uh, my oldest, my oldest is twelve, so she babysits. Oh, okay, awesome. So we can we can do date night if we go away for a weekend. Then we're gonna have to call some family and stuff. But right. again, everybody's willing to watch them because it's like, all right, well, I mean, they take care of themselves. They cook. They clean. You know what I mean? Like they they can handle themselves. It's more like having a roommate than having a kid to take care of now you just got to make sure that they don't leave the house you know so, right yeah that's about it right no you're so, you're exactly i mean i remember when my kids were that age i mean yeah yeah it's uh, and easier and easier and now they're doing their 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 own personalities they have their own ambitions yeah. you know and so you're you're just along for the ride now <laughs> that's awesome Doug. yeah it's man it's such a journey and dude it'll go by so quick mm -hmm. like i was walking in our neighborhood one day and I walked to an area that I'd never walked to. And then I was thinking like, how long have I been in this neighborhood? And I'm like, 22 years. Damn. Like, like, and I've never walked over here before. That's wild. Like, but man, I was like, you know, doing the rat race in the car, like everybody else in Dallas, man. I'm just a, a number in my car going back and forth to work, man. Um, I'm having those moments now where like, 
we hear an old song or something like that and we're like man when did that song come out i remember that song like it was yesterday it was 20 right years ago. <laughs> i know dude <laughs> we're those moments now and i'm like dang this is this is getting old all right all right yeah embrace all right brother so speaking yeah. of that um you know a question that i, I enjoy asking uh my guest is you know what does legacy mean to you and what legacy do you want to leave behind Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause you talked about like legacy planning. So like some of the legacy planning that I've done is uh, I've instructed my sons not to sell my house. I'm like, even if you guys can't get along, uh, this house is going to easily be worth a million dollars at some point. I don't know when that's going to hit, but you rent this yeah. bad boy out and you split the income. So that's kind of a portion of like what I've shared with my sons. Um, but, but two, like I'm trying to leave like uh, wisdom legacy planning. So my grandson can read my book that's out on Amazon. My grandson will be able to watch the numerous, I do comedy podcasts. So he'll be able to watch my comedy podcast, hopefully not until he's 21. And, uh, and he'll also be able to watch like all of my inspirational podcasts. So, so like, there's no reason for that kid to be depressed because like I try to teach people that like, it's real basic. It's not complicated, but happy people sell more stuff. Yeah. Happy people are more successful. Happy people have lower blood pressure. Happy people are in better health. And uh, and I'm not saying that we can't have things come up that we can't control because that absolutely can happen. But many of the things that people bring on themselves, it, it's it's uh, it's it's like mental and then it manifests itself physically. And uh, so my legacy is uh, is two parts. One is. Uh, Life is short, which I'm a big believer in that because I lost both my dad and brother right when I got married 30 years ago. And I've been the uh, the eldest male in my family ever since. Um, mm -hmm. Literally take care of my mom financially and she's in her 80s. And, uh, and life is for living. And like that's always my motivational thing on a Friday night when I'm tired and I don't want to go to the pizza place and meet buddies of mine to, you know, drink a few beers and watch a band. I'm like, John, life's for living. What yeah. if you died tomorrow? Wouldn't you want to know that you went out tonight? <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. I love what you said about the, the the digital legacy too. I think uh a lot of people don't appreciate that enough, you know, the opportunity we have. It, you know, and granted, like this podcast, you know, may be gone a few years after I die or whatever the case is, depending on how long I keep it running, right? Yeah. Um, but my family will always be able to tap into it. You know, Absolutely, and even man. and even with everybody's digital uh, imprint being available until the end of time, provided the mediums keep it hosted. Right. Um, people still aren't putting themselves out there as much as, you know, you would think because of social media portrays. Right. Right. And they're putting themselves out there in a very basic way, which is, oh, look what I'm doing. I'm at this place or I'm doing this thing or whatever the case is, which is nice, you know your grandkids, your great grandkids, maybe they'll be interested enough to go through all that. Right. But right. The way that we're doing it is more intentional and you could, you could literally get my life story and others life story and a skill set from just listening to my podcast or just listening to your podcast. You know, all they have Absolutely. to do is, listen, yeah. you know? And so um, I love that we have that available for our children and our grandchildren and whoever wants it, you know? And so I think Absolutely. that's a huge part of the, legacy you're going to leave behind brother 
Man, that's uh that's kind of my goal is like there's a lot of unhappy people that are really uptight. That's kind of why I started my comedy podcast because we're going through COVID and I'm like, man. What is that called, by the way? Uh well, it's under my tagline, John Sells Warriors, my channel. Okay. Uh the show itself though is called Schools Out 80s Comedy Storytime. Bit of a mouthful, but okay. uh but that's the uh, <laughs> that that's the name of it. Man, I just did a wonderful episode with this gentleman that saw Led Zeppelin in 1969 in Louisville, Texas at the uh, at the pop festival that was held a few weeks after they did Woodstock. And uh, oh, wow. and he rode he rode to the concert from Austin with Don Henley shotgun in his car. Like he's you got, with, I don't, Who's Don Henley? Don Henley from the Eagles. He's the drummer for the Eagles. Oh, okay. He, All right. Texas boy you find so many really good musicians from Texas. So this guy was a, uh, an up and comer uh, professional singer and uh, they tended to all the musicians hung out together and uh, awesome. they all came into town in the late sixties to, uh, to watch one of the very first concerts of Led Zeppelin in Louisville, Texas. And I looked it all up, man, it all lined up. There's actually wow. a monument in uh, not too far from my house that depicts the, everybody that played those two days at that festival. That's badass. That's Isn't awesome. that wild? It just gives you chills. Yeah. I met him in a bar in a, on a cruise ship. Like, like we're sitting in there together and I'm putting in professional, uh, professional earplugs. So he thought I was probably a professional musician. I'm not, I'm just a person that makes money with my ears. And mm -hmm. so when I go to like music events, I always wear professional earplugs like roadies use. And, uh, and so he thinks I'm a musician and we get to talking and he just starts telling me all these amazing stories and they all lined up like all of his stories lined up. But, uh, but that's just like, you know, bring a little fun into the world, man. The world is just so uptight and I'm telling you, it's not about money. It's about friends because you can have all the money in the world, but if you don't have a lot of really good friends, then you're just a lonely guy with a big bank account. <laughs> Ain't that the truth, man, John, I appreciate you coming on the show and dropping some of that wisdom on us. Uh, it's really important. I feel like to to share it as much as you can. So thank you for Absolutely, reaching out, Doug. coming on the show, brother. And uh, we'll include some of the links to the uh, Sales Warrior site as well as uh, your podcast channel. We'll look that up as well and include them in the show notes. So if you guys are interested in that, go check it out. Appreciate you coming on the show. And as always, uh, let's get building. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Building Great Sales Teams. We appreciate it. Be sure to execute on everything that you just heard and let's get building. Before we sign off, we'd like to invite you to join our Brickyard community. Head on over to jointhebrickyard.com. Again, that's jointhebrickyard.com or click the link in the description to find out more.